Hello everyone, this uh, Spiritual Underground Podcast is coming to you from the Woodshop at DTM Enterprises. Today we're going to uh, try something new, uh, first of many more episodes that we hope to have uh, people tell their story, somewhat like uh, recovery speaker tapes. Uh, today we have uh, Chase here with me, and we're going to uh, let him spend the next hour or so telling his story, and uh, some of the recovery literature would say, what it was like, what happened, and what it's like now. So uh, as we learn these, these stories, sometimes uh, what, what the magic is is that people will connect when they hear somebody tell their own story. Now that, that will allow them to make that identification uh, that, hey, yeah, I am just like that guy. Uh, so we'll get started there. Um, once again, my name is Dan, and we'll get started. So Chase... Uh, Let's start out with your sobriety date, and then you can go from there. My name's Chase, and uh, my sobriety date is July 17th, 2017. All right. Um, so what it was like. Um, growing up for me was honestly pretty good. Um, you know, that was that's actually something that's kind of bothered me. Um, when I came to realize that I was a real alcoholic, um, I'd always look for things that were wrong with my life. Uh, growing up, especially, you know, I had a lot of trouble picking things out because honestly, there wasn't a whole lot of stuff that was that bad. I had a pretty good life. Um, my dad was a probation officer. My mom was a special ed teacher, and we were definitely not rich, but we definitely were not poor. We had, you know, everything that we um, needed and a lot of things that we wanted so so growing up was was great and I didn't have <clears throat> I didn't have um, alcoholic parents or, or family members either uh, for the most part that I was um, that I experienced I did um, you know see my parents drinking a lot and <clears throat> alcohol was definitely a big part of of our lives and uh, you know I got to see my my parents and my uncles and um, seemed like a problem. Um, so yeah, things were pretty good uh, growing up. And um, yeah, I think about my sobriety date though. Uh, I heard uh, I heard in a meeting somebody said, uh, um, you know, I was I was sober for um, about thirteen years, and then I turned thirteen. Yeah. <laughs> But that's kind of how I, I feel having, you know, worked the, worked the steps. I think about that a lot <clears throat> because, you know, I think about how I was and how it, <clears throat> the ways in which I experienced life before I did the steps were um, painful uh, in a lot of ways. And it didn't have anything to do with, with alcohol. It didn't have anything to do with drinking or doing drugs or anything like that. It was just the general uncomfortability that I had with everyday living. Most of them were social experiences that were extremely uncomfortable for me. I remember vividly the most, um, well, the most, I have two vivid memories that were um, where, I ex where I experienced a really intense uh, anxiety, and I guess you could say I had a panic attack. And the first one was in kindergarten. Uh, and I had pulled a little girl's hair 
and my kindergarten teacher, Miss Goffinette, pulled me out of the of the hallway, and uh, I had to stand out in the hallway for pulling the, this girl Sarah's hair. I still remember her name, <laughs> and I was just devastated because I hadn't really got in trouble, and I was really scared of being in trouble with my parents. I was really scared of my dad. Um, my dad was pretty strict, and um, we were good kids, so I was devastated. I mean, I was scared to death that I was going to have to go home and uh, and tell my parents that I got in trouble, had to stand out in the hallway. Had to face the music. So I did what most alcoholics do. I didn't tell them. I lied about it. Yeah. Um, and Miss Goffinette didn't tell my parents. So my parents didn't ask, and I didn't say anything. But I dealt with that for years after that. I would wake up in the middle of the night having, like, stomach aches because I felt like I'd done this horrible, wrong thing by getting in trouble, and I was like first grader, you know, second, and this might have even gone into second grade, but I remember the fact that uh, that bothered me so much, and I, I, it would keep me up at night, and I would co I would wake up, and I would tell my mom that I was having a bad stomach ache after I'd snuck downstairs, and I would pace in the basement. I remember that in first grade, second grade, that that, that was happening. Um... Finally, I couldn't handle it anymore, and I think I might have been a fourth or fifth grader, and I spilled the beans and told my parents what I did. And they looked at me like it, you know, it was no big deal. Yeah, of course it wasn't any big deal. Right. Uh, the second one was uh, playing mini league basketball, and I hated playing basketball. But uh, my parents, they really, you know, pushed us to be involved in sports, and I was good at sports. Um, I probably would have been okay at basketball if I was uh, – you liked it. If I liked it. And, and you know, I might have been good if I was, you know, taller. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I didn't want to play. And we were having a practice one day, and I just couldn't handle it. And I freaked out. And I told the coach that I had a stomachache. And I went into the bathroom and cried. And the owner of the mini league, mini league is what it was called. I don't remember this guy's name. He comes in and. He was a real old guy, and he asked me, you know, what was wrong and if I really wanted to play, and I, I didn't know what to do, and I couldn't, I just couldn't handle it. Like, I could not handle that. And you couldn't, I would just say, uh, guessing I'm hearing something that it will, beginnings of the troubles of having, of being able to speak your truth. You couldn't tell people the truth about what was going on. I couldn't tell them what I did, and I couldn't tell them. What I was scared felt. to death to tell them that I was just scared to play basketball, and I didn't really want to do that anymore, and I didn't want to have anything to do with it. Um, and that made me feel really weird because I also, at the same time, saw all these other kids playing basketball, having fun. And they were having fun. And I was terrified. It made me feel really weird and different. And then that kind of feeling carried on through um, junior high school and definitely into high school. But I figured out a way to deal with it. I took, a, I took my first drink... Um, that I really remember. I mean, growing up, I sipped beers and stuff like that. But, you know, I really, with the intention of getting drunk for the first time, I think I was 12 or 13 years old, and my parents were gone, and I knew where my dad kept the Maker's Mark uh, whiskey, and I liked it. And um, that was the second time that I realized that I was really different because my other friends there were drinking with us, and they didn't like it at all. They got sick. And I loved it, 
and I got sick. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, it was, you know, it was like one of those things. Uh, most people would, uh, you know, drink that much and get sick, and you know, they say, well, "I'm never doing this again." They might wait till you know three or four months, or maybe till they're 18. I just thought, man, I got to figure out how to do this better. I got to figure out how to make this work because I'm definitely not going to not do it. This is it for me. The first time I had a drink, I thought this is, you know, in the in the book it talks about how he's, you know, like I have arrived. Right. Fuck, I took a I took a drink and I thought I'm going to get fucking rich off this shit. This is going to be my ticket to never feeling that way again. I can do whatever the fuck I want now. I thought it was a golden key. Yeah. It is. I got I found the secret, and like all of a sudden, I could talk to girls, I could make money, I could, um, you know, make friends. People liked me. I liked me. It was, it was the best thing ever, and I was never gonna put that down. I was never gonna let that go. And it worked, you know, for a long time. It really worked. But there were there were definitely times, even in high school, when um, it was just harder to tell, you know. It was diff- It was more difficult to distinguish my bad drinking patterns from everybody else's other than I drank every weekend for sure. I smoked pot every weekend for sure. Some of my friends maybe just kind of did it every once in a while. I had to go to a party every Friday, Saturday night. And a lot of them were drinking to excess and passing out in fields. And, you know, it was just kind of like, well, we're high school kids. It's not a big deal. Um, but... You know, when I was 17, 18, it definitely started to carry over. And it wasn't just, you know, drinking and passing out. It was getting in fights and, um, you know, it, it, it'd spill into me, you know, sneaking some drinks during the week uh, to fall asleep. And then just lying. Lying had become such a part of my everyday behavior that there wasn't a single day went by that I didn't. And I didn't even have to lie. I just did it because it's just part of the deal yeah. at that point. Whether if you're covering something up or whether if you're exaggerating or you're trying to make yourself look better than you really feel you are, the well, life becomes so, a big lie. I'd lie so much that I'd start to lose track of, it's almost like you start to lose track of uh, a real sense of reality. You do. It is the beginnings of losing track of that, yep. of not being able to tell the true from the false. Mm-hmm. That definitely happened. Um, and I, I suppose it was probably 20. See, the, the weird thing is, too, like I, I did well in a lot of stuff. I was good at sports. Um, I played baseball. And I was pretty pretty good. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't going to go pro. I, wasn't, I didn't want to. I had no intent. I didn't want to play baseball. The only reason I... I played baseball because my parents had spent so much time and, and money pushing me, and I kind of felt like I had to. It wasn't really a choice. Nobody had ever asked me, do you really want to play? Or maybe they did, but I didn't think that even saying no was an option. option right. I had to do that, and I had to be good at it, um, and I had to make decent grades, and I did. Um, I, I remember a period of time when making grades kept everybody off my rear end. Exactly. And it I was could just kinda... a way to skate a little easier. I figured, man, it was easier to make good grades and people stayed off of me mm-hmm. than the opposite. Yep. Nobody really gave too much of a shit if I was out partying all weekend if I had decent grades. And I I was on the honor roll. I don't remember what I got when I graduated, but um, I got into, uh, I got an academic scholarship to go to uh 
Transylvania University if I played baseball there. <clears throat> I was dating the girl at the time, and that was terrifying to, to, to leave what I knew and do something like on my own. I, I couldn't, <clears throat> there's no way that I could, that I would have been able to do that. So I stayed at IUS. Um, actually, that's not true. I went to, I was in the engineering speed school at UofL for a semester. And um, again, the same type of anxiety hit me when I was in my first week there. Um, I panicked, I freaked out, and I, I couldn't do it. I could not do it. I couldn't breathe. I remember sitting in the library at UofL, uh, one of the libraries there, and I was just like, I, I can't do this. I, and I left. And I, I called my parents and I was like, I, I don't, you know, I lied. So it wasn't for me. I didn't want to do it. I think I'm going to go back to IUS. That's where my girlfriend was too. And it was comfortable. I thought you were going to tell me that you told him you had a bellyache again. <laughs> I definitely had a bellyache. <clears throat> but yeah, definitely. <laughs> I thought that was going to become a pattern for a minute. No. Uh, but I lied and just told him, you know, that's what it was. Uh, at that at that point, still, I had no real idea what was really, really going on. But I just knew that if I, you know, took a drink, it would go away. And my drinking wasn't, my drinking patterns weren't such that I was doing it every day. But every time I did it, it was you know very excessive, dangerous levels of alcohol, and um, I never had one. I've never in my life had one drink. I can honestly say that I've never in my life had. One drink. <laughs> That's funny to think about, uh, but it's the truth. You know, I never had just one drink. That I, I mean, I'm even sitting here right now trying to remember a time, and I can't. Yeah, it's uh, it's something. I'm sure at times I was forced to only have one. I can almost guarantee at some point I was there were there were episodes in my life where I I didn't have a choice. But I promise you that I never chose to have one. <laughs> I can tell you there were times when I was with uh, on a date or even with my wife when you know I was still drinking around her that she knew I had a drinking problem and I knew I had a drinking problem at that point. But it was just like you know I'm going to show her that I don't. We'll have one drink. Yeah. But then by the time I got home, I had to, you know, the whole time. Like maybe was one drink at a time. I could say that I only have one drink and I'll be okay with it, but I knew I had more at home. So I can, you know, I can wait and just show her that everything's good. Into a little bit, it was, you know, I could very well be lying to myself. To some extent, it was just trying to for me trying to prove that I wasn't really an alcoholic and this wasn't a serious problem. But still, nobody had ever talked to me about, uh, you know, the patterns of alcoholism. Really, I mean, um, growing up, you always hear about, you know, you know, I remember it was Dare when we were in school, like. It's still popular. Is it still popular? I get stuff from my kids' school on Dare. Matter of really? fact, this past uh, week it's been a uh, a Dare week at school where they wear clothes and do things to stay off of drugs and alcohol. And it'd be a crazy idea if they asked a real alcoholic to actually come and talk to them about that. That you know, instead of officer friendly, yeah, <laughs> come talk to you about don't smoke pot. It's a gateway drug. I don't know if it was. You know, I don't know if marijuana was a gateway drug, but. I know it's a little bit of a tangent, but uh, I have been invited to teach, speak at a school tomorrow yep. evening yeah, to some uh, apparently some high school students about, about this. So <laughs> that school, at least, has uh, asked one of us to come speak from our experience. Is that a coincidence that I brought that up? I, I don't know. I don't know. 
But um, I never really knew what what uh, alcoholism looked. I thought I was just behaving like a, a healthy, you know, active teenager. And my parents did too. Um, although they did have some concerns when, you know, I would come home, pass out, and wake up. Uh, or they'd come find me in the middle of the kitchen floor. But they thought, you know, I was just being rambunctious, I guess. Uh, maybe they did have some concerns, but they never really voiced it to me. Nobody ever really talked to me about my drinking until I was about 25 or 6. So I screwed around in college at this point. After high school, I ended up at, you know, I left UofL. I'm at uh, IUS. And, um, so just for a point of reference, you said until you was 25, 26, how old are you now? I'm 34 now. Okay. Almost. Well, I'll be 35 in April. Right. Yeah. Just give it a frame and see if you're 50 or. Yeah. This is 10 years after 25 or 26 <laughs> or 25 years after 25. It's about 10 or 26. years after 25. Okay. So, um, I at this point I'm probably 2021 in, in at IUS, and um, I was working part time. I always had a job. I don't, I don't really remember ever since I was about 16. I always did some sort of work because it was expensive to. Uh, to, to buy all that, you know, because it was hard to keep up with. I always had a job and never had any money. And um, I was screwing around in, in, in school. And let's see, I was an uh, engineering major at UofL. I went to IUS, and I think I was um, a math major for a little while. I took a bunch of math classes, and then I took some physics classes. And then I took, uh, and I thought, you know, science is not for me. I'm going to do business, so I studied finance. I was an account, a finance major, um, and I switched to economics, and then I thought, you know, I want to do something more uh, literary, so I switched to um, a more liberal, liberal arts, you know, field, and so I started studying um, history for a little while, and then I got in, well, that's more of a social science, but I got, then I got into philosophy, so I was finally a philosophy major, and this is like, I mean, college, you know, I was at IUS for like seven years and uh, getting nowhere, not getting anywhere. And my little brother had actually uh, graduated and, and I was like, I was like, damn, <laughs> I got to do something. So I, I had enough credits to graduate, like with a different degree. I had, you know, I had enough credits, credits to graduate with an economics degree. Um, so I could have got a business degree before I did, but I just screwed, I didn't even know that until actually last year, and it was 2016 when I actually graduated from college, true story, uh. <laughs> uh, so I had uh, told my parents, I'm done, okay, I'm graduating, I've got my, I finished, so I took a senior seminar to finish my degree, <clears throat> I had to write this paper, um, we were studying, uh, I think he was on, we were studying Hunter Rent. And it was, you know, that's not important, but um, I was writing this paper and I'd actually written it and it was pretty good, but I, for whatever reason, I didn't turn it in. So I, and I didn't get my, I didn't get a degree. I didn't graduate, but the professor gave me an incomplete in the class. And that was in 2007 or eight, maybe. And uh, it was still incomplete in 2016. So I got to, and I wasn't sober yet, um, but I got to go back and actually finish it. Turn in your paper? Turn in my paper. I didn't know you could do that. 
apparently you can at the philosophy department at the US. But that's uh that was my college experience and it was wrought with drunken nights and debauches and shattered, you know, attempts at a relationship with uh, a couple girls who if I ever saw I'd be ashamed to, you know, say that I spent any time at all together with them and I'm sure they they'd say the same about me. Um that was, it was just mostly just drinking. I took tests high, drunk. I don't think I was sober for very much of, of, of my college college career at all. And a long one it was. And the long it was lengthy. <laughs> yeah, I was on that ten year plan. <laughs> Stretch it out. Uh, you know, I, I don't know. Did your brother graduate in four? In did, he? did your brother graduate in four years? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he did. He's not an alcoholic. Yeah. It's <laughs> a, a damnedest thing. My brother actually graduated in four years. I don't know what he was thinking. Yeah. My brother's a pilot and he's he does he's he's a good pilot and he does uh he's doing well. I was all honestly I was always a little bit um jealous of my brother because he knew, when he got he started training to be a pilot when he was in high school. And then he, you know, knew exactly what he wanted to do and just went for it. Was on a trajectory. I'd never had a fucking clue about what I wanted to do. I didn't, I, I, how could I even know who I was? And I was just trying to feel okay. I spent most of my life so far trying to feel okay. Yeah. That's it. That's what, I mean, if I really, if I'm honest, and that's why I'm here, to tackle the, the lie you know, and fight it with truth. If if I'm truthful, I spent from, you know, that earliest memory of anxiety in kindergarten to 2017, July 17th, trying to feel okay. Because even after I got drunk for the first time, I never felt that way again. I never felt that kind of relief until... Honestly, until after we did a fifth step, probably. I mean, that was the first time when I was like, "Holy shit, this is gonna be this is this is gonna work for me." There really is something to this. Yeah, I, I could I could do this. Yeah, I mean, honestly, that's the that's the first time I felt a similar kind of euphoric relief that I felt from the. I would liken it to that first drink. Yeah. Honestly, you know, coming coming out of that, we did it at your cabin. It didn't really hit me the next morning. Honestly, I had to get a full night's sleep yeah. in my bed before I thought about it. I was like, holy shit. Well, let's circle back around to like those final yeah. days and then that when what like the what happened portion that actually brought you to your knees to make you decide to uh, force you to make some changes. I don't know if I ever made a decision to make some changes. But I got forced to myself. Yeah, when I was about 24, 25, um, I just started blacking out a lot and my parents had brought up you know maybe you need to take a look at your drinking other people had mentioned it um, some girlfriends had, had brought it up I'd ended up in the hospital quite a few times from accidents fights um, one bad one I fell down and fractured my skull in three places I was in the ICU for a while and I lost the hearing in my right ear yeah and uh, the doctor came in and was like well, you know has anybody ever talked to you about your drinking have you ever you know, thought maybe you have a problem, you know, took a look at that. I went to see a therapist, um, 
And from that point on, it got a whole hell of a lot worse. And that was, um, I don't remember when that was. Yeah, I'd joke around and say if I knew I was going to be telling this story, I'd have kept better track. Yeah, I'd have written that, I'd written that down. I'd written that down. Um, and I'm, but I mean, honestly, you know, things got bad, but I managed to kind of pull my shit together a little bit. And because the, the last thing that I wanted to do was, uh, I didn't really care so much about being an alcoholic. I was pretty certain by, you know, 25, I was an alcoholic. It was obvious to me. Um, and I didn't care so much about that. I was just scared to death that I was going to feel like I felt in kindergarten again. And I did not want to do that. And I wasn't going that I wasn't going out like that. There was no way. So I faked it hard, man. And I I remember one particular incident, um, and it was Harvest Homecoming in 2009, maybe. Which is a big local festival here. Yeah, big local festival, big party. Fall festival. Big fall party festival. Um, I woke up in a gutter for the first time. Yeah. Literally woke up in a gutter. Uh, no shirt on. Um, bruises. I don't know if I'd been in a fight. Um, but I woke up in a gutter behind a dumpster. And that was kind of a kick in the nuts. Because I was like, damn, I, can't, I'm a, I might have to. <laughs> I might have to put it down. Yeah. Um, so, uh, but I remember getting up, got in my car, uh, went home, slept it off, and I went back the next night. Did it again. The exact same thing. Um, and then I made it to Sunday. Sundays were horrible. Sundays were rough, rough days when that depression of like the weeks coming. Yeah. You know? So I so I just said, fuck that. I'm not going to do it. So I just uh, I went out and found friends who drank on Sunday nights. Found some friends who drank on Monday nights. And when I say drank, we, you know, we did other things. We, fuck, I'd. We drank, we smoked, we did pills. I, you know, we, you know, I did a lot of cocaine. Um, anything to feel better. All right. And um, change the way I feel, because the way I feel is not working for me. So I, instead of changing, you know, what I knew was really wrong, which was the fact that I'm a raging alcoholic, I just decided to change. Uh, some other things. So I'm gonna change a job, or I'm gonna change a. I'm gonna. I, you know what? I need a nice. I need a nice wholesome girl to settle down with. And that was my mom's word. She don't. That'll fix me. Yeah, that'll just that'll do it. Um, not that I ever. Not that any of the other girls I ever dated were, you know, other than wholesome. Although maybe, but that's not for me. I mean, <laughs> but uh, you know, I, I really thought that. Uh, that would be it. And then I'm, you know, I met my wife and I was like, uh, she, she won't, you know, she won't let me be this way. So I'll, you know, that'll, it'll, it'll work because I can't be like that around her. I can't be like, I can't be me the way I am now and have her too. And I knew that. Um, and I've apologized to her for that, but that's when, um, you know, I don't know if I'm sorry to, to her for, for doing that to her. I mean, she saved my life in a lot of ways because um, that's when my drinking got a whole lot worse. When Because that was like the first time that I really recognized that 
like I wasn't going to be able to do this and have any kind of life that I, you know, you, you get to the age where you start seeing other people take off in different directions, their jobs are taking off, and mine was pretty much staying the way it was. I mean, I was... Uh, they're getting married, they're having kids. Or yeah, they're doing doing stuff. In their and, careers. And, they're not, and you know, and I'm and I'm starting to be a little bit older at the bar, you know, and I'm not the cool guy anymore. I'm the drunk guy in the gutter, you know. So I started to realize some some serious things, and you know, drinking at this point was not fun at all. It, it really wasn't fun. It was it was a burden that something that I had to do. Even though I, you know, I worked hard to make it fun, but the harder that I worked to make it fun, the the worse it always ended up, and uh, the more depressed I got. The the you know all the lengths that I went to not feel that way I felt when I was in kindergarten just made everything worse. You know, uh, that's the truth. Everything that I did. And it, not not even drugs or alcohol, but everything that I tried to do, it wasn't this. This is the only thing that's ever worked. Right. Everything that I ever tried to do just made it work worse. Uh, you know, I I thought that, it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna get to the, you know, the part where I get sober. But everything that I would try to do, and I always I always worked out a lot while I was even in you know all that madness of drinking, and I, I would kill myself in the gym kind of like punishing myself to, you know, to, I did not want to be, I had an idea of who I wanted to be. Uh, I just couldn't get it. I couldn't get there. I couldn't do it. Um, and I would punish myself into, you know, if I did this, then then it's okay. I can have, I can go drink again. And it was almost kind of like, well, look, I, I got a job. I work out all the time. I'm good. I don't have, my life is good, you know. I don't have any reason to, to stop. And, um, you know, that's when I met Teresa and, you know, she really started to know. It was really difficult. It's almost kind of like, you know, when you start to change your res responsibilities, when you start to move some things around in your life a little bit out of your typical drinking routine, it's like your drinking just shows up way more, you know? And, um, Whenever she, uh, whenever she started to notice that stuff, um, my drinking kept getting um, a lot worse, and I'd have to work a lot harder to hide it. And that's what I did. I lied more. And um, at, at this point, though, I, I couldn't last for, for very long, and I'd try to pull back and try to try to stay off the stuff. You know, I'd try to stay uh, clean for a little while. No, nothing. Like when you say you couldn't last very long, you meant like you wouldn't be able to, what, you'd hit the wall too quick when I couldn't you drank? Do, I couldn't do anything for very long. I couldn't stay off of it for very long, and I couldn't stay on it for very long. Okay. And when I when I, when I start drinking again, I'd, you know, it, I'd be okay for two, maybe three days where I could, you know, I got this. One, two drinks, three drinks, I'm good. I'm going to go on home, and then, you know, I'd have to manage home, it for a few days. but Manage it for a few days, and then, you know, that fourth or fifth day, Eight o'clock in the morning, I'm knocking on the door at the liquor store, shaking, and um, and I had to stay that way, you know, for until I could actually quit. And I can't count how many times I would just come, you know, crawling back to Teresa after she was just pissed because I hadn't been home or around or she didn't know where I was and I was doing God knows what. 
you know, and I'd say, look, I'm, I'm done. I don't want to do this. And that was true. That was the first time I told the truth about my drinking. I did not, I didn't want to do that anymore because it was not fun. It hurt. It hurt my body. It hurt my emotionally more than anything because I had totally lost myself. That whole idea of the guy that I wanted to be gone. It didn't, gone. that guy fucking yeah. died a long time ago. It didn't matter. And that was, um, we got married in 2014 and uh, we started dating in 2011. And there were two through from 2011 to 2014 were little stints of sobriety. Uh, three, maybe four months. I never put together more than probably 45, you know, 45. And I never got 90 days, I don't think. So I never got more than three months, really. And I managed to convince her to marry me. And, you know, for a long time, a long time, I'd blame, blame her. You know, well, you married an alcoholic, I'd say. You married you knew what you, you were, knew getting, what into. You were getting into. Yeah, you knew you were. And I would bet on some level you probably was another one of those uh, attempts at thinking that, well, if I married, if I got married, then that would probably, then I will settle, be able to settle down. I'll be able to get a hand, you know, manage this thing a little bit. Mm-hmm. Keep on making changes in our lives, hoping that that'll be the one that actually yep. flips the switch and I'll be okay. And unfortunately, I think, you know, with, you know, I feel for Teresa having known me as an alcoholic and then knowing that that's probably what I did. I know she probably worried, was he really going to love me whenever he gets sober? If. Um, it's been the case that I do. And, but that's, that's the real, that's the truth. Again, I mean, I was trying to do things to change myself. Yeah. Um, and that was that without a, without a. I can't say without a program. I had a program, but just sticking with that one, it didn't work. Yeah. My old one. And um, 2014, we get... So I think I got drunk two weeks before the wedding. God, she was terrified to marry me. She wouldn't make it to the altar. Or she'd, yeah, or she'd just end up marrying a, you know, a drunk, a no-good drunk. And that's what I was. I mean, I worked really hard not to portray that but that's definitely you know not to see you know she didn't see the guy with um with a nice job and and nice clothes and put together and working out she saw the sloppy guy coming home peeing on himself and pissing in the corners and missing the bathroom completely and just i think i'll use the hallway instead true story real real that that really happened um she saw you know broken dishes and flying saw plates flying through the you know through the house smashed furniture and and arguments and uh, we fought phys- like physically fought uh, that's what she experienced but um, you know she she stayed and I kept going and I get, I get sober go to some meetings think I'm gonna do this thing and I'd go you know full force but I never worked any steps and I never got never got sober um and that's what it was like from 2014 until 2017 um there were tons of incidents accidents um well you and i met in a in a detox center in 2014 at some point yep that's where we met 2014 at wellstone yeah yeah and i thought surely i was gonna get it yeah, I've heard you say yeah. you thought I wasn't going to get it, and you surely were. Yeah, and I was wrong on both accounts. Yeah, and I thought I was definitely going to get it, and none of you guys were going to get it. I definitely got drunk again. Um, and then, you know, things just, 
things get, kept getting worse. It's it's just it, it's baffling to me how much worse and how quick it, things, you know, went downhill. It was like my my morals could not. I couldn't lower my morals fast enough to keep up with my disease and where it would take me. Because I'd always say, "Look, I never, I will never do that. I'm never gonna, I'm never gonna get to that point." And then I would, I would. Yeah. So I'd have to adjust it. Like, yeah. well, all right, this is where I am. That happened, but I'll never do that. Yeah, like waking up in the gutter. Like, I'll never, yeah. Well, it happened, but look, I won't do it again. It was just a, you know, one-time thing. I would definitely woke up in the gutter more than once. And uh, 2014, 15, 16, and 17, I went to rehab. Um, And at that point, I would, you know, I'd change jobs again, went to a new place, and that, this particular employer had given me this one, you know, I'd gone to rehab once. I been went back to Wellstone after after that. Um, did the same program that you and I met in. I did that again, and I stayed sober for a little while. Um, and then I got drunk again, and then that one lasted a long time. That that uh, little bender was rough, and that, that, that hurt. And at the end of it, I was... I could, for the first time, see clearly that I was definitely going to die like that if I didn't change. I, th- I, I could see without a doubt in my mind. There was no doubt in my mind that if I kept on, I was just going to die like that. And eventually, and I don't think it would have lasted much longer. You know, it, it, it may have lasted you know, a, a lot longer, but I would have died that way yeah. somehow. So let's talk about that bottom that actually got you to change and turn the corner. What was it that, uh, tell me about the days or weeks or whatever months that led up to the to the turning point, we say. Well, after I, uh, well, I remember it, yeah, I remember the how it starts. So I had I had gone back to, went through Wellstone again, just my employer let me go. They sent me through there, and um, I did the program, finished it. And I stayed sober for a while. And uh, my wife was going out of town. And I had, from my last one, held on to a bottle of wine that I just wanted to hold on to. I wasn't going to even want to get rid of it. And uh, she was out of town. And the whole time I've, you know, this, I don't know how long, I may have stayed sober for five months this time. And the whole time I knew where that one bottle of wine was hidden in our house and um, the first time she'd gone out of town I uh, had that conversation with myself that uh, it'd be okay to do it Um, so the first night she was gone I I did and um, as soon as that one was done I went to the liquor store and got another something I don't and, and that was that was it I was done and um, it went like that for a few months. That one lasted a while. And I'd gotten so bad. I was, you know, I wasn't even driving to work anymore. I'd, you know, take an Uber to work. I'd made friends with the Uber driver. And um, I, I didn't come home. I spent the night in, you know, in my car. I was passing out in my driveway, and then Teresa, and at that point, Teresa didn't, my wife didn't even um, stop at that point. She didn't really 
care. You know, she was just dead to it, done. And um, I was so sick at that point. It took me six or seven beers. Um, I remember going to Wick's Pizza one night, and I couldn't, I couldn't keep a beer down. I couldn't keep it down. I hadn't eaten anything, and I may have had some toast in a couple of days, but I was just drinking, um, you know, shit vodka, and yeah. and um, and I'd smoke some pot in, in the in the mornings, try to like settle my stomach, and then you know, drink a beer. Usually, if I drank a couple beers, I could switch to vodka and I could pound a pint and stop shaking. It's usually what I did, um, but this point I couldn't I couldn't get the beer down to get to the vodka and I was like I panicked that was awful and uh, finally I remember I got one beer down got in the uber went down to this pizza place <clears throat> this bar and um, I ordered a corona and a shot of whiskey or something and I took a sip of the beer and I had to go puke in the bathroom at, the, at this place <clears throat> So I um, I went I went outside. I got the I finally I puked some more. I got the beer down, and then I was like good for a while. And I stayed drunk like that for um, two or three days. And <clears throat> at one of those mom one of those days, I had called you, and uh, I was in the parking lot at the YMCA, and uh, it was. The middle of the day, I hadn't been to work. I was getting phone calls from my boss. He knew what was going on. It was pretty clear to me that I was going to lose my job. It was pretty clear to me that I was going to lose my wife. She was going to take Ezra, my son, with her. So I was going to lose him. And I, I still couldn't quit. I could not stop. And uh, I remember just being in my car, drinking that vodka, crying. And, um, which is crazy that that's kind of like my real bottom, but cause I had, a, you know, looking back, I had a whole lot of other incidents that were worse than that, but this was it. And you called me. Is that how it went down? Did you call me? I don't believe so. I had texted you about some opportunity to do something cause I thought you, because of your fitness yeah. background, I knew you was a fit guy and I was doing, working on that recovery yoga thing. You text and I me texted about yoga. you about the yoga because I was looking for people who were in recovery because I yeah. saw you around the meetings yeah. and was uh, looking for some people that might be interested in doing that. And I'd said, some, you, yeah, you'd reached out and I said, maybe I, maybe I said something like, well, I'm not doing okay. And then... Yeah. But you started calling me and I yeah. remember specifically one of the first times you called me, I was actually uh Finishing, refinishing my deck. I don't know why I can remember that, but I remember I was upstairs refinishing my deck and I saw your phone number pop up on my phone. Yeah. Uh, and you were a mess. Yeah, I was a total mess. But you tried not to be, but you were. I was a total mess. Trying to sound like you weren't. And I, and I really couldn't stop, though. I mean, I really couldn't stop. There were times where I, I could, I could, you know, I'd get so sick, I could stop for a while and I would do the whole detox in my... Uh, in my house and I'd have Teresa watch me and I'd sit in there and sweat and writhe around in pain and knots in my stomach and puking and um and just not puking just being fucking miserable and just in pain like physical pain from all the withdrawals and I would go through that and I'd feel a little bit better but as soon as I started to feel a little bit better I would just get another drink 
and um, I knew at that point I was fucked. Like that was it. Um, terrified on so many accounts because I knew that that was it. That's what it was gonna be. Also terrified that I wouldn't. Still terrified that I wouldn't be able to drink anymore. Like that still fucked me up. Still terrified me that I I could be in that type of pain emotionally, mentally, physically. And I'm still sad that if I quit drinking, that means I can't drink anymore. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck is that shit? Yeah, that's what the, when the poison becomes the cure, yep. then you're in a, a real pickle. Yeah, totally uh, and utterly fucked. Um, so, so what'd you do then? So I went to, you told me to go to rehab, and that was a... You kept on calling me, asking me what you should do. Yep. You told me to uh, go to rehab. That was on a Friday. Uh, I remember saying to you, you know, I said, can you not drink tomorrow? And you told me straight up, no, I cannot not drink tomorrow. Yeah. I can't do that. I don't know. And and, and I know that when that's the answer, the, the, the only solution I have for you is to go and detox place and dry out. Mm-hmm. I was in the same position in times. Yep. So you told me to go, I think it was a Friday or Saturday, and I... I didn't go. I went. The insanity of going into the research, into the detox joint on a Friday night. Yeah, that was. It doesn't make any sense at all. A, there's no way. <laughs> um, there was no way I was going to happen. I mean, I like I even. So early, you had to drag your family through another weekend of misery and worrying yeah. about you. And I was on the phone with your mom, with your uh, wife, and with your dad. Yep, that was a fiasco. I'm glad I wasn't yeah. really conscious for that. So I ended up in the hospital on a Sunday night and uh, because they were just I guess that they thought they I was, didn't know what to do with you yeah and they wouldn't do what I told you to do with you yeah so it was about two o'clock in the morning I think and I I think I don't know what time it was it was about it was late on a Sunday night somebody let us let me in and they gave me something and I passed out uh, at you know woke up and I'm in a fucking rehab joint. I didn't know. I didn't re- when I first woke up, I didn't really have a good idea where I was. No. Like, logistically, I didn't know where the fuck I was. I mean, I knew I was in a probably a rehab facility, but I didn't know where on the f- face of the planet it was. Like, it could have been, you know, in your hometown <laughs> in Russia, and I wouldn't, have, I wouldn't have known. He's talking to our friend Vlad, who's uh, sitting in here observing while we do this podcast. Yeah, and uh, and I remember kind of coming to and walking outside of the room. And I've told this, I've said, I've mentioned this before, but there was there was a woman and she was gnawing on her shoe in the hallway, chewing on her shoe. And there was this gigantic uh, naked guy in the hallway, and he was just, you know, he's really, you know harmless he was just having a good conversation it looked like with himself and uh but he had no clothes on and they were trying to kind of trying to wrestle him into a back room and i thought holy shit i've done it <laughs> this is it i am really fucked so I, I laid back down and and it took me a few days to stop shaking and trembling and you know it took me longer to be able to really talk and you know kind of come to terms with where i was and then they asked me if I wanted to stay longer. But, but, but my plan was not to stay. My plan was to get the fuck out of there, go back to work. I had a lot of money I had to make. Um, that was not part of my plan, staying. But I did. Uh, I stayed, uh, I think, 28 days. 
Well, I remember a phone call from you, and you said, hey, they want me to stay for 28 days. What do you think I ought to do? And I remember where I was at, too, then, because I was out in the country down at our camp, and you'd called, and I was sitting at the, a little Kerbet drive-in restaurant out there talking to you on telephone. I can still remember that, too. Yeah. And I remember what my answer is then, too. We should do what they are asking us to do. We should follow some directions, Chase. Yeah. So that's what I did. I stayed, and that was... I could hear you, though. You was like, oh. That's wow. not the answer I was looking for. <laughs> it wasn't. But I stayed, and it was the best decision that I, that I ever made. I really do think that that was one of the – I mean, that had to have been. Well, it worked, so. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm sober today. And I'm, Stand I, at the turning point. Yeah, so I, I stayed, and uh, I got sober. But I still was definitely not uh, better. I was just sober at that point because um, I remember – uh, you know, rehab, being in rehab, it's really, you know, it's easy to be sober in rehab. When you're locked in somewhere, when well, you're not locked, you could you leave, leave, but yeah. when you're, you know, more or less locked in somewhere, you don't really have to worry about not yeah. drinking. You just, yeah. you Three wake, squares, yeah, and bedtime, they tell you where to be, yeah. what time to be here, three, what time to be there. And that's right. The three hots and a cot. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> it's kind of nice. I didn't have to worry about a whole lot of stuff. It was just kind of like a little... You know, shitty. Va- better than jail. It's like a shitty vacation. Better than jail. I've never been in jail, so which is crazy. But I've never been arrested. Never been in jail. That's an interesting point. Yeah, I don't know how. I don't know how I never got pulled. I never had a DUI. I've been pulled over three times while drunk. Still didn't get a DUI. I don't know. Yeah. I guess you, some people. So you come say, out of rehab. Yeah, came out of rehab. Um, and the and I remember the first thought that I had was to get the fuck out of here. I remembered that <clears throat> I remembered thinking and having a, a a plotted thought, a well detailed thought about how the ways in which I could get out of here, like how I could get get home, you know, get my basic essentials, get some money out of the account and take my car and bolt without anybody knowing and go somewhere else and just be an alcoholic. It was a real thought, and uh, after all that, you know, going through even 28 days and the, you know, the vowing to myself over and over again that I was, you know, I'm going to really get to do this this time. That is the first thought that hits me when I step one one into foot freedom. out of yeah once one step into freedom and and my best thinking shows up and wants you know wants to talk about how we can go get drunk again. And that's, that's when I knew I had to do something else. And I had never really worked any steps before. And um, so I called, I'd called you, and uh, we went to uh, the Spiritual Underground. That was the first meeting I think I went to after I got out of rehab. And we started step work. And um, so that's what happened. Um, and the way things are now, we have time to talk about that. Yeah, we're going to take a little more time. We're about fifty minutes, but we're going to. Uh, we can't stop. We did a lot of that. We we did uh, walked up through there. Now we want to hear some more about the recovery. And I actually would like to take you back to a little bit of that because uh, I do recall some of it. And that's one thing that might be a little different with this interview than it might be with some others is that I do have some intimate knowledge of 
<laughs> of how this went down. Yeah. Uh, because you did call me in rehab, and, you know, we would talk every few days, you know, and, and you get your lot of phone calls here and there, and I know you also need to call your family, but you were still calling me throughout that, too. And in the beginning, before you came, you had asked me to sponsor you, and some of that was, was yeah, I will do that, but you're going to have to follow some directions. Right. And, like, the first thing was, is getting in rehab and, like, to stay there when they recommended that. So when you come out, uh, as, as Chase said, my the spiritual underground was, was where I got sober. And so I knew that was like the very first place. And I can't remember. It almost feels like maybe it might, you might have got out like on a Tuesday morning or something. I don't remember. It yeah. wasn't very long, and we were bouncing into that meeting. Yeah, it seems like I was there. Yeah. And I remember walking in. And um, and we immediately started doing step work. Yeah. We immediately started meeting up and started beginning in, your house. In, the, in the book and, and started working through the steps. A couple of times a week we were in the book. Yep. At least. Yeah. Know, doing, a, doing, doing step work. And, um, and I remember you had one particular problem that kept continuing to surface over and over Roomba. and over. Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> you know, you know, the Roomba was one of them, but it always had a, the, the common denominator was a relationship. Yeah. Well, that was, was always the relationship. Things that were always happening that were around what that was, was going on Roomba. with your Yeah. Yeah, she, the yeah, room she, ball was just a symptom of the relationship. Yeah, and I was gonna, I was going to get to that because it wasn't just like oh I you know I got out of rehab did a couple steps and then bam shit's good. I thought we were going to get a divorce possibly still. I did not. I was not sure if our relationship was gonna was gonna work. And I think she was pretty uncertain about it too. I think she was pretty uncertain if and I know she'd even voiced to me that she wasn't sure if I would still love her having been a sober person. And I think she might have known how different it was going to be for me more than I did. Yeah. Um, Plus, it was just one more bounce into the rehab joint. You'd done this before. What was going to be different about this time? Yeah. I, I'm not so sure what was really different other than I had a very clear, like I could just see it clearly for the first time. I just knew this is what it was. This is the best my life is going to be right now. If I don't do anything differently, you know, that sitting in a fucking Uber making friends with the guy and he's feeling sorry for me as he drops me off another fucking bar. That was it. That was the best choking down three beers so I can choke down a pint so I can feel normal. That was as good as it was going to get for me. And it, you know, all alone doing that, that was it. There was no doubt in my mind that that's what it was. So it wasn't really, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> we'll keep circling back to that. We want to yeah. get you sober in this in this little speak here sometime too. Ten, ten minutes. No, yeah. we got time. We're not. There's not a time limit here so, at all. The so the step work when we um, yeah, I didn't have any clue at all what it would be like doing it. Uh, you know, I had you were my fourth sponsor. You know, I, but I'd never really done any work. Not that any of those guys were um, did anything wrong. I just didn't do the work. Right. And um, we did the work, and things definitely started to change. So my relationship started to change, even though early on there was a lot of arguments about stupid shit like the Roomba not being cleaned out or, you know, just the, the petty stupid shit that, you know, simple things in life that you deal with when you're in a relationship were uh, still baffling. But they began to be less baffling as time went on and as I completed more of the step work. And to be honest with you, after I finished my fourth step and did a fifth step, we didn't have any problems with the Roomba anymore. That's <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's, that's a true story. And we began to fall in love with each other again, my wife and I. 
Yeah, that's juice. Yeah, and it was. Um, I mean, that was that's been one of the 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 coolest things, blessings, if you whatever you call it, whatever you want, um, that's happened to me in sobriety is that, um, you know, I think you've you know you fall in love throughout your life multiple times. I mean, you know, when I was drinking, I could fall in love and. <laughs> drop of a hat you know if, a, if, if anybody complimented me I was like thinking about how we might you know what we can name our kids yeah because <laughs> you know? I wanted I needed to feel that you know I needed that, that affirmation man. but having ha- like gotten sober and being raw and then being able to experience that raw self with uh, you know somebody who I already trusted was a was a blessing yeah and then we got to fall in love with each other all over again and we we still continue to get to learn things about each other that uh, uh, we don't know so I guess I'm lucky in that that I don't have to you know be all raw and all you know new to this life uh, alone and I get to jump right into seeing what it's like with with somebody else I'm grateful for that and I'm, I think my wife is too um, so you made up you did that inventory you did that four step and then you yeah. got to turn it all loose in your fifth step Started to um, do some amends, and um, that was all. Those experiences were, you know, know, it's hard to put a word on it. Life changing. Um, You know what I want to say about um, uh, making amends, though. Um, I mean, the biggest amend that I made in my step work was to myself, I think. Um, I I just had a lot of guilt and a lot of the, you know, all the shit, all the shame, all the bullshit that we go through. I had to, I had to say, dude, I'm sorry, man. Like we, after that, like I, I could talk to other people about it. Say, look, I was wrong. It was a lot easier for me to say I was wrong after I told myself that I was wrong, which sounds crazy. Yeah, we, me, came from, we don't have the power to forgive anybody really we had to get that power from elsewhere and we mm-hmm. said that first person that, needs, that forgives us a lot of times is ourselves we have yeah. to forgive ourselves before we can go out doing uh, uh, forgiving others or asking other people to forgive us mm-hmm. yeah yeah but then uh, prayer and meditation started to take uh, a big part of my life and I've implemented that into my uh, daily routine which is hugely important today I have a routine that I you know pretty adamant about staying on every day um, and every morning I pray and I meditate and that's not necessarily a religious prayer it's more for me personally prayer meditation is very much a, a focus of intentions and like letting it be known to my higher power where I am where I want to go and asking for help to get there um, and I can, you know, start a day, you know, I like to, you know, think about it as like you start a day with a, a higher power thought or a God, or people say start your day with a God thought or whatever that, whatever that means. I think that's the same, you know, same thing, just uh, pointing myself in the right direction to do another right action. Because every time I take a, a step in that direction with right intentions and good orderly direction um, I, I don't have the doubts that I used to have uh, without a program 
Like it was really easy for me to not implement any action. And then without that action, I had tons of doubt. And then with that doubt, it was really easy for me to start thinking about, well, maybe I can drink again. Maybe I really don't want to be sober. Uh, that's what the prayer and meditation did for me. It allowed me to just to be in a day, yeah. to wake up and have a day. That's yeah. what I had. So prayer and meditation took off uh, in my life and allowed me to do other things. And now I'm um, sponsoring uh, guys, and that's been uh, an amazing adventure. That's been uh, a blessing. I'm you know I'm working with three guys right now, and it's 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 um, it's it's definitely taken my recovery. I don't even say sobriety. It's, it's, it's taken recovery. my recovery to another level of recovery. Um, when I'm sponsoring people, when I'm sponsoring guys and work with the guys, I'm recovering. Yeah, you know? it's, uh, it's insurance. There's just yeah. If I'm helping another guy get and come up out of that hole, uh, I'm just not going to think drinking is not on the menu. Nope. Especially you got these guys who are dependent on you. Yeah. They're looking at you for guidance. Yep. Uh, that stuff that keeps me on the right side of the of the plane, and yeah. then you know it's also that whole thing about uh, having to give this thing away to keep it. I have to do that. And I've told you multiple times after you know something real juicy will happen with the sponsee, then I'll call you and I'll just be like, dude, there's no fucking way I'm drinking today. Yeah. Like I, you know, it's not even an option. <clears throat> Until afterwards, I'm like, yeah, there's no way. <laughs> I'm not doing that. This is great. And. Uh, you told me a story one time about uh, like an on-the-spot amend kind of thing that happened with a cleaning lady at the work. Mm. Yeah. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to tease you on a couple of little stories I want you to tell then as we, because uh, I think it's important to talk about the, uh, you know, the miracles, the juice, and the, the things that happen now that we're sober, you know. And, I mean, if you keep a, I was always, like you've heard me say, I was always encouraged to keep a list of these things. I actually have a physical list of these miracles that I've kept track of because I never kept track of all the stuff before but now in recovery I'm actually keeping track of the things that happened in my life so that I can recall them and, and have bullet points so that yeah. the, the <clears throat> with that little story so I used to uh, at my office I used to um, well my wife is a teacher so she would leave early in the morning to go to work and it allowed me to just go to the liquor store come back home and drink until she usually I know she got you know class got out at 2.30 so I had to get my shit together, take a shower, clean up, kind of sober up for a second to get back to the office um, to pretend like I was on meetings all day and, you know, you know, working hard and being a big shot. And I'd get to the office about three or four and basically sit there and look like I was busy to the people at the office. It was a front for everybody. And I'd have a coffee cup or some Gatorade bottle or something that was full of vodka. And I would sit at my desk and drink until 8, 9 o'clock at night. Working late, buddy. I'm, uh, Tell my wife, I'm all yeah, in here. I'm working hard, baby, making, making us. We're going we're gonna to be great. Don't worry. You know, we're, I got some big stuff coming. I would just be sitting there watching stupid shit on my phone and, uh, you know, fucking getting drunk. And the cleaning lady would always come in. And I don't remember her name. Um, but she, she'd always come in and I, I could tell that she thought something was wrong 
I could tell that she, you know, knew something's off with this dude. <laughs> and uh, one one night in particular, I was just fucking wasted. And she asked me if I was okay, and I knew at this point, you know, she's like, you know, I'm damn near cross-eyed. She's like, okay, okay, I can't hide this one. So I told her, <clears throat> you know, and she asked me if like, is that what you're doing here? You know, kind of thing when you're here late. And I was like, yeah, pretty much. I'm just, you know, drinking. She said, why, why do you do that? And um, there's a bit of a language barrier. She was Hispanic. And um, I talked to her about it. I don't know why, but I just told her stuff. I guess I just needed somebody to talk to. And uh, I get, you know, she never really bugged me about it. She never said, you know, told me not to do it. She just talked to me. And um, after I'd gotten sober and come back to work, I'd taken a lot of time off to recover and get, you know, go through rehab. And it took another, you know, 30 days or so to get my life together before I stepped back in the office. And it wasn't until maybe when I told you this, it was a month ago, two months ago. Yeah. It'd been a long time since I had seen her. And I was actually working late one night because I really did have a lot of stuff going on. Good stuff for yeah. the first time I was really working. And uh, working on a, an account and she shows up. And she, she comes up and, you know, she's like, oh, working late again, you know. <laughs> And I was like, actually, uh, and I am working late, and um, I was like, I'm not drinking. And she, you know, uh, was like, seemed really proud of me for that. And I was like, proud that she was proud. It made me yeah, feel right. uh, good. Like, I wanted her to know. Like, and it was kind of like an unspoken thing that, you know, like she needed to know that she helped me. Yeah, she's like an angel, man. Yeah. And uh, it's funny, man. I saw her the other day, and uh, she's actually taking her uh, licensing test to to sell insurance. She oh, really? To, yeah, like, well, uh, like, wow. How about that? Yeah. And I told her if she needed help with anything, I'd be happy to. Yeah. Because I don't think she, like, people that show up in our lives like that, I don't think they really, or maybe they do, but I don't think they really realize the 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 gravity or the 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 impact that they really have on yeah. us. Because like yeah. I'll never forget. I, I could like honestly couldn't tell you her name, but I will never forget that woman. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that night. And, uh, yep. Yeah. And the polar opposites of the two uh, episodes of the you know you're just probably shocked looking at her cross-eyed, drunker in hell, wishing that you really didn't want to see her. Probably don't want to see any didn't human see being anybody. in those kind of spots. Yeah. And then later on, actually have an opportunity in her time when it was like. You're a new man, and and she actually could see that and sense that. Yep. And and that that little bit of a bonding kind of thing that will happen when like you go like cool. And it wasn't. Has, it wasn't has like turned a, the page and they're better now. I wasn't, and I wasn't bragging like, right, hey, I'm no, sober. It was. It was almost like by me telling her that I was sober it was all. It was honestly, it was just like saying thank you. Right. Yeah. 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 So you got some other things. I know there's a few because uh, I do like to point out and, and knock on some. And, and I don't remember all of them. I do remember you telling me about. Uh, and I'll just hit on a couple of them just to spur it. And we don't need to get into big long stories on it. But but talk about some other things that uh, had specific impact on you that you'd share with me, like the camping trip that you all went on and uh, was it in uh, Georgia mm -hmm. as a family? Yeah, I was able to take. Uh, take uh, your, your son and, and wife down there and she loves the outdoors and that was a very special place to her. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, there's been a lot of, um, you know, you mentioned my son, and for the first three months of his life, I was in in the midst of my last bender. That was yeah. shortly after. Honestly, I don't know why. Well, I do know why. It's a painful thing for me, and I probably didn't bring it up just because I don't like to think about the fact that, you know, the whole time she was delivering Ezra, I was drunk. And I, I need to say that, though. That that definitely happened. Right. Um, I was drinking the whole time, and, you know, I'd always told her that once we had... Ezra, that I wouldn't do that anymore. Another one of these life events. Once I get to there, I will stop. But uh, and I didn't bring it up. Maybe kind of on purpose. It's like it, it, it's just hard to talk about. Right. That, you know, I don't. I hate that. I hate that I did that. I hate that I lost those three months. You know, the first three months of his life, I was absent. Was, even when I was there, I was not there. And um, she knew it. My parents knew it. Everybody knew it. I was. I was not a dad. I was a guy with a kid. Um, sperm donor yep that's what it was and uh, you know I, I worked these steps and then you know these steps you know um, took a guy with a kid and uh, I get choked up saying this I've said it before man yeah took a guy with a kid and, t- and uh, turned him into a father yeah and uh, I I don't know. It's just... It blows my mind. And I get to do stuff like take, you know, take my wife camping in Georgia. Uh, it's just a place that she loves to go. And I don't like camping, really. You know, I don't fucking... It's, it's like... I don't know. It sucks. But... You know, you do this work, and things like camping are really a breeze for somebody who hates camping. I can go, I can hate camping, like this, the the power of the twelve steps, or I can hate something and and, and do it anyway and have fun. Uh, like I, honestly, I look back and knowing that I really hate camping like that, and I I also had fun, which is weird. I get to do that kind of stuff and. You know, spend time with my wife and and my son. We get to raise them together now. Yeah. You know, he gets to have, he gets to have a mom and a dad. And um, you walk in this path, he'll never have to see his dad drink. He will never know that that was a part of your history, unless uh, unless you unless at some point you tell him. Yeah, man. My kids are not the same. Don't follow the same suit. They know who their dad was at one point. Mm-hmm. So you got to do that, and I've heard some cool stories about that. Well, uh, I was a little, uh, and you vacation in Mexico. So my wife has been talking about getting scuba certified since I've known her, and um, I had every intention of of doing that, and and it was always one of those things I really wanted to do. I've always wanted to travel all over the place, and I had, you know, all these ideas about going to all kinds of places that I could never make them. You know, it's kind of like the same thing. I always wanted to have a fully stocked bar, and every time I tried, it just was empty. Yeah, just had empty bottles. Yeah, empty bottles. <laughs> and I, you know, I wanted to go all these places and have all these experiences, but every time I tried to, uh, it just I ended up empty. Couldn't do it. Um, but we we got scuba certified in Cozumel, and um, we were able to comfortably do that. And you know, 
we we afforded it. Um, took Ezra, took your mom. Took Ezra, took my mom, and uh, we both got scuba certified. We are yeah. certified open water divers now, and that's like, you know, it's not a huge deal, that's, but that's a big fucking that's a deal. Huge deal. Like I did something for the first t- like I mean that's you know for the first this this is the first time in my life where I'm doing things. Um, and I've done other stuff before, yeah. but, um, yeah, but to do it with a clear head and a purpose and, and to know that your conscious is not, I mean, you would not, you would not have got open water certified under the conditions when you was a drunk. It's mm-hmm. not going to happen. I wouldn't have left. I wouldn't have left the shore. I wouldn't have left <laughs> New Albany, Indiana to walk away from a bar for a weekend. Right. I'd, like, I wouldn't, I couldn't get away from it. So you now know. your, your career is. Taking off and, and getting traction again. It's doing really well. Yeah, yeah. more plans for travel. Yep, we're going uh, to uh, Athens in November. Yeah, so see. we got a, we get to go on a trip to, to Athens, Greece in November, and we're going to Italy in, spring. Yeah, yeah, see, that's that stuff crazy. don't happen when uh, <laughs> no. you know this is dream stuff, you know, and it and it yeah. is. It's a it shows what recovery actually does, and it's not the thing I've learned. You know, you think this stuff is like some kind of. Um, anomaly but it's not you hear people and maybe not everybody's doing that traveling but everybody's got their dream that goes on you know my dream's not the same as yours but it's coming to fruition too and i get to do a lot of things that are uh lifelong dreams of my own and you see that in everybody who's in recovery and it's one point that i definitely want to like when i get people on their side of this and telling their stories and i think it's something that falls short a little bit when we're doing it on a podium in in a setting a lot of us do is that first off we only have the one hour and here we are at hour and 15 Mm-hmm. And we still kind of was brief about things. We didn't go into the depth we could have. And uh, and, and we forget, like, if having somebody help you remember to yep. get into talking about these things that are the miracles and the real joy because that's what it's really all about. All that drunken stories are is one thing, right? Yep. What really is the promise that we have here in life is all the miracles that are laying out and waiting for us to go out and, and do this thing called life with a purpose and yeah. have a have a have a life worth living. Yeah, uh, that's it. And um, you know, I do, I don't do what I do today. I don't do this work. I don't do this. Um, I don't do the re- recovery the way I do it. Um, and I know you don't do it this way either because you want to be sober. And we don't do this because we want to not drink. Not doing things is not even part of my vocabulary. I don't. You know, I remove things so I don't have to think about not doing them anymore. Right. And I have a program and I have tools to to be able to to do things instead of not do something else that I don't want to yeah. do. The things that I don't like anymore, the toxic things in my life, are not part of something I think about anymore. Yeah. I think about what I want to do. I think about what I what I can do for other people. And I think about how great this fucking thing's going to be. I don't show up here to do this because uh, I just I don't want to drink today. I, I do this because I'm fucking thriving and I want to keep on doing it. I'm addicted to this. Like I'm still a I'm still a, an addict. I'm right. still a fucking alcoholic. This is just my new drug. And you know I heard that early on too from other people who weren't alcoholic maybe that uh, AA was just a uh, or the twelve steps were just a uh, substitute and they definitely fucking are 
Like, it, you know, the, the 12 steps are a fucking substitute. It's a sufficient substitute. And that's what I needed. I needed a sufficient substitute. Otherwise, I was going to die. And I, I'm not even sure to call it a sufficient substitute justifies it because it's more than that. Uh, you know, the life that I have isn't just, again, me not dying because of the other one. I, I didn't, this program didn't save my life. It gave me a new one entirely. Uh, that's the miracle that I have experienced by doing the 12 steps. Um, yeah, but it not only saved my life, but it also gave me a brand new one. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. And uh, I'm just going to keep on rolling, man. This yeah, is... man. It's a blast. That's what, uh, one thing I do like to close with. But when I talk, uh, if I get a chance to say it, you know, uh, one thing I've done tonight, it's been fun doing it because it gives me a chance to participate in my recovery. Yep. Because that's another thing somebody told me that, you know, participation in my recovery was not an option. Uh, we get to sit here and do this. And uh, and also the fact of the matter is, is I'm having a blast in recovery. I really am. I'm having more fun than a guy deserves to have. But I deserve every minute of it. I agree. And I see it in your life too. And you've been a blessing in my life. And we get to walk this thing together. And, uh, and, and it's been cool sitting in front of the mics and, Another thing too, man, since you're my sponsor and we're sitting here and we, we mentioned sponsorship either, man. Um, yeah, I was going to ask you for a closing thought. This is my closing thought. Sponsorship is, um, sponsorship is the one thing that, I mean, we could have, we could sit here for an hour and a half and talk about that alone. We could. Easily, but. We will. Um, at another time. You and I have, you know, we started off with this sponsor-sponsee relationship, but uh, I might be forward by saying this, but I feel like we're a whole lot more than yeah, I agree, more 100%. than that. You know, and in, in doing this work, you get so much. You get a friend, you get a family, um, and it's more than just, you know, take me through this, show me how to live. Yeah, man. It's uh, this is this is how we're gonna live. It's about building relationships. It's about re-entering yeah. society and, and getting close to people and becoming vulnerable with your buddies yeah. and being able to say stuff about when we're hurting or sharing our victories and sharing our pain and, yeah. and doing this thing called life together. Exactly. And you it get look to, like 12 steps. Yeah. 12 steps what bring these human beings together. Yeah, that's what it's that's what it's all about for me. We, You know, and <laughs> and I remember when I, when I first start we maybe midway through the steps and i and i would say man i I have to go do this thing i think the first time you mentioned that to me we went to a basketball game i said hey i gotta go give this basketball out at uh halftime and you said you get to go do that and i feel like that's what you know this whole thing is and sponsorship just carries that forward we get to do this stuff yeah and um that's why it's a blessing if i had to do it and that was what drinking was i had to do that I get to do this. Right. That's all. That's all I got. My name's Chase, and I'm happy as fuck to be here.